0: I think it's important that, as a church, that we have more of these times and maybe longer times of silence, um, as Christians, and because of the kind of world that we live in, it needs to be part of our personal private lives of spending time in silence before God. so often um, We're so used to voices and noise that it's hard to quiet our minds and our spirits before God. But it's in those times that God can really speak to us and minister to us. Um, They haven't translated it correctly a couple of times in Psalms, but in Psalms it says, for you, silence is praise. And sometimes the way that we can best praise the Lord is for us to be quiet And to hear him. And that's a better form of worship than all the verbiage that we have. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us, When you go into the house of the Lord, go near to listen instead of to speak. Uh, You're in the presence of God, so let your words be few. And so he talks about uh, offering the sacrifice of fools who keep on babbling. And oftentimes, as Christians, even in the church, we're guilty of that. So I think it's good for us to... Um, let me ask you, did you find that difficult? <clears throat> Was your mind wandering? A lot of different thoughts coming. Uh, that's part of the discipline of learning to, to quiet our minds and our hearts before the Lord. So it's a focusing in on Him and not on ourselves, And we're not used to that. So let me just encourage you to do that. And we're going to be... Um, doing this a little more frequently here in the church. Um, God has given people gifts, uh, wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, discernment, uh, other gifts there. And we want to create space in our worship service for God to to manifest Himself in those areas. So if God has given you one of those gifts, um, then in your quiet times, we need to be open to Him, to minister those things in us and then hopefully through us to one another. So this morning, as we're thinking about waiting upon God, how long do you wait? Jonathan and I were talking the other day about how God works in people's lives. And as we look throughout the the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, uh, if you just read the thing through, you get the idea that God is saying and speaking and doing new things, new revelations. They're hearing from God every single day. And God's doing a miraculous thing in them and through them, dynamic, powerful things. But that's not the case. Um, Just read through the life of Abraham. It covers about 100 years that we have. He lived 175. Um, and it, it covers um, a good chunk of that. But if you take note, it tells you, gives you a time reference in there if you're looking for them. Sometimes there's 20, 30 years between revelations. And it's not like uh, God is telling him something today and tomorrow is telling him something new, some dynamic thing. So it's Sometimes it happens fairly frequently and then other times there are these long, extended periods where um, they're just going through ordinary life, like you and I go through ordinary life. And I think what God's doing is once He's spoken to us and He's done this great work in our life or He's used us in some powerful way, He's given us time to process that, to um, put it into practice, to implement it in our walk with Him. And sometimes I think it's the when we complain about not hearing anything fresh and new from God, he's waiting up for us to put into practice what he's already showed us. And if he tells you to take three steps this way and you're standing over here or you're going this way, why should he tell you to take four more if you haven't taken the first three? So he's waiting on us to, part of the maturing process, To allow the Word of God to become more than words for it to work itself deep within our hearts and in our experience and our relationships in ordinary everyday life. Because that's when God walks with you, isn't it? He walks with you every single day in the ordinary things of our everyday lives. That's where God is with us. And as we begin to quiet our minds and we walk with Him through the ordinary everyday things of life. That's when God speaks to us, and that's where God uses us the most. And if you read the prophetic literature, Jeremiah is walking through the marketplace. Now, he walks through the marketplace every single day. There's no refrigeration. So those people went to the market, and every single day they walk through the marketplace. He's doing ordinary, everyday thing that he's always done, that he does every day, walking through the marketplace, and God begins to speak to him. Jeremiah, what do you see? Well, I see some figs here. Some of them are really good. Some of them are overripe. And God uses that as a message. And he has a wordplay on that and he gives him a message for Israel while he's walking through the marketplace. So, ladies, men, when you go to the grocery store, looking up and down the aisles, God may be speaking to you. He may give you a tremendous revelation of what he's doing now in our heart in the lives of our church as a community. Sometimes when the way is hard, it gets difficult to wait. In the book of Exodus, there was a problem. They had been in bondage for close to 400 years, and God sent Moses and Aaron Moses is 80 years old, Aaron is 83. Two old men with a stick. And they're going in front of the most powerful nation in that part of the world at that time. And so these two old men with their stick go into the presence of Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. The Pharaoh says, I don't even know that God. Why should I let him go? And so he had already, Moses had already talked to his people, the Israelites, in captivity, and he said, God has heard your prayers and he's seen your groaning. He's going to set you free. And so they were, there was tremendous expectation there. And so what Pharaoh said was, these people are lazy. Having, they got too much time on their hands if they're thinking about leaving. So they were working hard. Uh, manual labor out in the hot Egyptian sun, and it's hot, and it's dry, and forced labor. And the Egyptians had provided straw to make the mud bricks to build the great cities and monuments that they have. So Pharaoh says, you tell them we're not going to supply the straw anymore, they're going to have to go get their own. But the quota of bricks is not to decrease, not even by one. They couldn't do it. They were already working flat out. It's like a boss I used to work for. He'd come in and he'd say, Guys, I want you to work as hard and as fast as you possibly can till noon. Then gradually increase your speed. (laughs) Well, that's not good news. So um, they couldn't keep up the quota. So he calls all the foremen in, says, How come you haven't met your quota? And he has them beaten. And they knew that they were in serious trouble now because there's no way they're going to meet. And they're going to be beaten every day until they meet the Capota. So Moses and Aaron show up. We've got a word from God. They said, we don't want to hear it. You haven't helped us. You've made it worse. Why did you put a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us? And it says that because of their discouragement and because of the hardness of their bondage, they would not listen to Moses. In Isaiah 43, verses 22 through 24, God has spoken through Isaiah and he's got this tremendous revelation. He's been talking now about uh, redemption, uh, salvation, forgiveness of their sins. He's talking to them about deliverance, a new deliverance. And the metaphors that they use there, he likens it to uh, release from Egypt. This is 750 years uh, BC. But the problem was, he says, Yet you have not called me, Jacob, for you are weary of me, Israel. That's what a literal translation says. You have not called me Jacob, God says, for you are weary of me, Israel. So God is talking to the people of God, and He says the problem with the people of God is that they're weary of God, they're tired. Uh-huh. So the way that this is usually interpreted, they have two, two interpretations of this verse. The first one is that because they are weary with God, what that means is they don't ask God for anything. They are going through the motions, they're still offering their sacrifices, they're still doing the outward things, but they're not asking God, they're not seeking God. They are going through the outward religious motions, but they are living a life of a practical atheist or worse. They're serving idol of the idols that are around them. So they're just wary of God. I'll give you an example. In 2 Chronicles, chapter 14 through 16, you have a chance, you ought to read these chapters. This is one of the great reforming kings, a man by the name of Asa. He's a good man. He follows God um, And because he's walking with the Lord, God gave him peace in his kingdom for 10 years. And it tells us that no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. So they built, they prospered, things are going well. And Asa was one of the reform kings. He started actively seeking after God, and he led the nation in seeking after God, um, destroying some of the places of idolatry and getting rid of those things. And God sent a word through Azariah, uh, Azariah son of Oded, he was a prophet, the Spirit of God came on him. He went out to meet Asa and he says this, listen to me Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Well they had been a long time without the true God without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord. They sought Him, and He was found by them. Well, they, they were attacked by a foreign power. All this time of peace, and now the, this great threat, military threat, they sought God, and God delivered them with a great deliverance. And things went very well. And because God delivered them, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So he ruled for a long time. So there was like 20, 30 years out of that, there was peace in their kingdom. Well, in the 36th year, we're in chapter 16, they got another threat. But this time, instead of turning to God, Asa tries to make a treaty with some of the pagan nations around him, and he does. And he doesn't look to God at all. Now here's a godly man, a reforming king, and God had answered, blessed them, prospered them, taken care of them, when they were in trouble delivered them, and then when this new threat comes, he doesn't look to God. Does that sound like us in the church? Oh, no, now we panic, but instead of turning to God, i got to figure this out. So God sent another prophet, Hanani, the seer, and he criticizes him, Asa. And this is where we have the verse that we talked about a little bit last week. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It didn't end there. He goes on, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. Okay, so God sends the prophet, confronts and challenges. And so what's Asa's response? Well, he's, they've been walking with God all these years. The proper response is repentance, seeking forgiveness, and asking God, because God is a gracious, compassionate God who freely gives But Asa didn't. He was angry with the seer. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. And he began to brutally oppress some of the people. And then, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers." So here's this man, all these years of walking with God, experiencing his presence, his fellowship, his blessings, his provision, his protection, his deliverance. And when he gets a severe disease in his feet, he's not seeking God. And And he dies. He had become weary of God. And so he wasn't looking to him anymore. So like the men of Moses' day, uh, their discouragement and cruel bondage, they weren't ready to listen. Barak, who was the secretary, we'll call him, for Jeremiah, he's complaining to God. Jeremiah chapter 45, Woe to me, the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am worn out with groaning and find no rest. Well, as you read through the Psalms, you find a lot of people in that position. Uh, We think about Job, we think about righteous people who are suffering and they didn't understand why or how long it would last. And they had questions and they're coming to God. The difference is those godly men, even in their questionings, and even in their doubts and fears, they were looking to God. And they were bringing their doubts and fears before the Lord and saying, God, I'm struggling here. And they kept their eyes upon the Lord and waited upon Him. And in their extremity and in their distress, they discovered that God was with them. And He hadn't forsaken them or abandoned them. Not like Asa. Not like the people of Isaiah 43, weary of God. The other translation of Isaiah 43 says this. You have not called me, Jacob. And what he's reminding them, according to this translation or interpretation, is you didn't call me, I called you. And so it's not like you called me, and so therefore you can control what I do and when I do it. Uh, You need to remember I created you as a people, and I called you, and you are in my hand. Jesus said the same thing to the disciples in John 15. And Paul reminds the church, you are a chosen people. The church, Ecclesia, Ecclesia Ecclesia means an assembly of called people. That's what it means. The called out ones. So, Jesus reminds his disciples in John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you and ordained you. To go and bear much fruit to the glory of the Father. So if you're here this morning, it's not because you chose to come. It's because God chose you to come. Me too. So what is our response when things get difficult and weary? We get weary because of the difficulties that we face. In Luke 18, we won't read the parable. But in Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable, and it says the reason that he told this parable was to show the disciples that they ought always to pray and not to faint. The word faint means lose heart. Don't give up. If things are difficult, pray more. And as we pray, what we discover is that God is with us, what he promised all along. God is with us. doesn't take the circumstances away. doesn't make the the difficulties disappear. But he says, I'm with you, and I will walk with you through this difficulty. And in the walking through the difficulty, you will discover anew and afresh who God is. And when we discover who God is, then we realize who we are. And things get, things change, not outwardly, but we change. And so it's amazing if you go through, this, through just the New Testament and look. You've got the Church of Thessalonica, at Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, and every one of these, um, we could go on in, into Peter and John as well, James as well. Um, every one of these, they're writing to the church, do not be weary, do not lose heart. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And literally means give out, become exhausted and quit. So God is faithful to us here. I want us to look at, uh, just very quickly here, at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul has just been reminding the church at Corinth comparing the revelation of God through Christ to the revelation of the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And in chapter 3 he's talked about how Moses in the presence of God receiving this glorious tremendous act of God's grace in giving him the law. His, the skin of his face actually began to glow and radiate, that give off light in and of itself. It wasn't fluorescent paint. <laughs> It was the presence, reflected glory of the presence of the living God. And so when he came down off the mountain, his face was (laughs) radiating light. Everybody was scared. And Paul reminds us, uh, Moses put a veil over his face when he was talking to the people. He'd go into the presence of the Lord and remove the veil. And he would talk to God with unveiled faces. When he met to the people, he put the veil because they were scared of him because the radiated light. After a while, the radiated light began to fade. And after a while, he didn't need to wear the veil anymore. Paul says, the good news of the glory of Christ is as Christians, as day by day, the Holy Spirit changes us into His image, the light of the presence of Christ in our life increases it doesn't decrease, it gets stronger because we're getting closer to Him and He is working those changes within us and by His grace and by His Spirit we are becoming more like Him. Experiencing His life lived through us in the everyday ordinary events of our day-to-day lives and that's what attracts people. So Paul says chapter 4 Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. And later on in chapter 4, verse 16, he's been talking now about, uh, even though we've been given this tremendous thing, we are are in, we have this in clay pots, earthen vessels. Uh, There's not anything more ordinary than a clay pot. Especially in Israel at this time. They used them for everything. They made um, little lamps out of them. Um, all, that's their everyday dishes. That's the ones where you, if you broke it, nobody cries. That's <laughs> yeah, just an old cheap thing. Let me go get another one. You know, one of those deals. And Paul says, that's, what, that's us. We're the clay pots. But what we have inside us is a tremendous treasure. Some people, they would use this ugly, uh, old clay pot as their bank. And they would bury it and hide it. They still dig those things up in Israel from time to time. It's this old, ugly clay pot inside all these gold coins or some other precious thing that's really in there. Um, And that's what we are. We're the clay pots for the glory of the presence of the living God to be in. And So in verse 16, Paul says, He's been talking about carrying around in our bodies the death of Christ so that the life of Christ would be revealed also through our bodies every day. And then he says in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So David here, he's getting old. And he doesn't look at now, but later on, the body is going to start wasting away eventually. It's <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just I was being nice. <laughs> uh, so he says, outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed every single day. The life within, the peace, the joy, the presence of the Lord, is becoming stronger every day the clay pots becoming more valuable because more is being put into it. And so he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 28 Well, back up to verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. And God starts asking the questions now. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the one who lives in your heart and mine, the creator of the universe. Go out and look at the Milky Way at night, and you see all those stars, they're there, says God calls them everyone by name, and He knows your name as well. That's incredible. And He's the God who lives inside you. So he says, He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, and the word literally is wait, on the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So in chapter 35 of Isaiah, have you all ever do mountain climbing? Anybody hear mountain climb? I never have, but I watch it sometimes. I've seen it. <laughs> well, those guys on the mountains, what they do is usually you go as a group and they tie ropes around everybody. Every person's tied together. And the reason they're tied together, and they have a, uh, usually the best climber, the most experienced, the guide, is the, the guy in the front. Everybody else is tied on. And the reason they do that is because sometimes, as you're climbing along, you'll get to a, a you'll make a mistake or there'll be a, a, a place where you lose your footing or the, the rock crumbles and somebody will fall. Uh, in the church, we call that backsliding. <laughs> They'll fall, right? Now, the reason that they're tied together is they're going to present you, prevent you, the other people tied on with you, they're going to prevent you from falling too far. And they're going to help pull you back up. Now that's what the church is for. That's why we need each other. Because no matter how good a climber we are, all of us slip. And sometimes we fall. And sometimes, if there weren't weren't others around us praying for us and holding us accountable and looking after us, Um, we might fall a long way. And the farther you fall, the more damage you do to yourself. And if you land on somebody else, then you hurt them too. So the mountain climbers help each other. They support each other. They hold each other. And when somebody slips and falls, they're not yelling at him. Why would you do that for? That was a stupid thing to do. It happens, right? They catch him, and then they help him get back where they're supposed to be, and then the whole group moves on. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. One of us slips and falls, and it happens. We're not to condemn, or gossip, or point fingers, or judge. We're go looking for each other and pull each other up. Then the whole group can move on. That's what we're for. So Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He's talking to us. Strengthen the hands that are feeble. Steady the shaky knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. God's with us. He's coming. He's coming to save you and to save me. So we're back to Proverbs 3 that Jonathan shared this morning. Verses 5 and 6. This is good news. And it's good advice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Totally, completely. That means we can bring our fears, our doubts, our frustrations. Um, We can bring our failures, our dreams, our shattered lives. Because we're trusting in God with all of our hearts. And lean not on your own understanding. Because it's not about information. It's about relationships. And if we trust God, then the focus is on Him and not upon ourselves. If we look to ourselves and try to work our way through, our life is going to be very disappointing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. So I've been rereading um, Brother Lawrence the practice of the presence. And he talks about every day, in everything that he does, he's doing it unto the Lord, carrying on a conversation with God, committing his work. He washed pots and pans for a monastery. That was his job, he hated it. But he got to the place where he said that he was as close to God in the clutter and clatter of the kitchen with people giving orders and making demands and he's he was as close to God as when he was taking communion as when he was by himself alone with God in prayer he was as close in the everyday clutter of his everyday ordinary busy life, he was as close to God then as he was in church and he felt the presence of the Lord sometimes but he said it doesn't matter how he felt because the relationship with God was based on God's promise, not on how he felt or what he thought. Proverbs chapter three. So that's what he's called us to do. So the challenge for us today is to be aware that we're hanging on to the rope. And if we're the one fallen, there's people there to, to, to help pull us out, to catch us, to bring us back in, not to exclude us or condemn us or accuse us but to pull us back so that all of us can proceed in our walk with God and our task as Christians if we see someone struggling we need to be there for them with our prayers but with our active support as well they need the relationship they need the acceptance so that's the way God treats us we're lost, he comes looking. And he searches till he finds us. That's the hope, the good news of the love of God for us. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your presence. And we're so grateful that David shared with us his experience. That no matter where we are, that no matter what we've done, that no matter who we're with, your presence is there for us. And we can't get away from it. Even when we try to run away from you, there's no place we can run where you are not there. And that gives us hope. So Lord, in the midst of our crises, when the temptations are strong, when there's people around us saying that you don't care or you're not around, help us to trust in you and turn our eyes upon you like David did and to acknowledge that you are with us and find the strength and the hope that we need. Thank you for that grace which is always, always, always available to us because of the presence of Christ who died for us and rose that we might live an abundant, victorious life. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.